Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Chapter 3. Morality Police. I restricted my marketing to foreign outlets, some articles on travel sites, and a few pieces in English language magazines. I quickly figured out that promotion in the Vietnamese press just brought trouble. A local Vietnamese journalist thought he would do the shop a favour. Without discussing his plans, he translated and reprinted an article about the bookshop that he'd lifted from a website written by an American travel writer, a good friend of the bookshop who regularly passed through Hanoi. The local journalist was a bit lazy given the article was essentially a puff piece written for potential visitors to Hanoi and therefore not particularly helpful to a local audience. However, the strange commentary was duly translated and published in the Vietnamese newspaper and my neighbours quickly let me know. It all seemed harmless but annoying. However, lazy journalism prevailed and the national TV channel arrived unbeknown to us and filmed customers entering and leaving the bookshop. The resulting mishmash was then broadcast nationally, interspersed with photos lifted from the tourist website, the voiceover reciting the article verbatim. Still, no one had been to speak or interview anyone involved with the bookshop. A few more days passed, and I booted a Vietnamese woman from the premises who was filming customers as they attempted to browse the shelves. She tore from the shop with her camera, jumped on the back of a waiting motorbike, and sped away. Who was she? Who knows? More annoying, however, was the subsequent arrival of five morality police. Police, it must be said, is a generic term given to civil servants, as well as law enforcement. Cultural police, tax police, tourist police. A recent shake-up of the literary detectives meant a particularly nasty woman had been made boss. I assume she had eaten her rivals. Visits from second-rate officials usually occurred in groups of four or five, the intent being that an envelope would need to be offered to each. It was a nice little earner, based on the inevitable conclusion that something illegal must be going on, and it's just easier to fork out a few dollars so they go away. It certainly worked for the photocopy book mafia and the fake CD and DVD stores. Piles of paperwork were offered showing evidence of where and how the new books were sourced, and that all had been authorised. Her office already held countless copies of these documents. After all, they had supplied the permits in the first place. All was in order, so she demanded paperwork for the second-hand books. This, she hoped, was our Achilles' heel, as of course we didn't have any. Customs officials check for cultural material when foreigners enter the country. Surely she couldn't be blaming them for allowing imperialist propaganda to enter the magic kingdom. Her flunkies were becoming increasingly embarrassed. The quick shakedown was not going to plan. No envelopes had materialised. Besides, it was almost lunchtime and they were desperate to renoodle. We demanded her name and her cell phone number. Predictably, she didn't provide them. 
Police of any variety never identified themselves with a badge number or name card, particularly when they were after an envelope of folding stuff. We asked for the regulation we were breaking. She refused to identify it. We were told instead to buy the law and regulations from the government bookshop and figure it out for ourselves. We already had, and we'd read them too. Her tantrum concluded with a final threat of shutting the place down as she stormed out. Strange and stranger incidents such as that persisted for a couple of years, from nutters who wrestled a modicum of power in the greasy wheels of government. Given an opportunity, these types can sprout up in any country, but in those days in Hanoi, they seemed to thrive unimpeded. Everything was shifty in Hanoi then. The buildings, the traffic, the officials, life in general. My neighbours and Vietnamese friends never expected anything to work or be built properly. For them, it was an unreal expectation. Everything felt a bit, rotted, caught fire or was nicked. The landlady was tighter than two coats of paint and refused to pay for anything. Rent for the building was paid a year in advance and she never felt an obligation to maintain her property. A few days before the rent was due, she would magically appear and make a fuss of pretending to fix the leaky roof, shorting electrics or blocked drains. She was notorious for procuring eight-year-old master craftsmen, electricians, carpenters and plumbers, snatched off the street with limp instructions on the way over on the back of her motorbike. Her theory was that the farce would eventually wear me down and I'd pay to have whatever it was fixed properly myself. It worked. Eventually, I figured out her preoccupation with underage tradesmen. Besides, I too could kidnap my own gang of eight-year-old master builders. It's Hanoi. You can't make this stuff up. The lease was about to expire, and I wasn't sure if I should stay or go. The landlady was a nightmare, and of course the bookshop would have been much better located in the tourist mecca of the old quarter for passing trade. I made a few cursory inspections of rental properties there, but that area of town also had its limitations. The rents were double or higher, there was generally no parking for customers, and fewer places where I could live upstairs and have an office. I needed to ensure that I could maintain my real life as a consultant and be less distracted hurtling down the stairs invariably to oblige, can you recommend a good book? The old quarter of Hanoi is the part of town with hundreds of artisan shops beating, belting and grinding out innumerable odds and sods. And while it is fascinating for tourists, to live there, I figured, would be unbearable. But then everywhere was noisy in Hanoi. Vietnamese people are very, very early risers, and I became convinced that the entire country suffered from industrial deafness and lack of sleep. It was not a good combination. On most streets, loudspeakers blared out pointless messages at dawn every morning, purposefully read by a screeching party harridan. I would regularly pay a boy to cut the cables near the bookshop so sleep might go beyond 5am. Of course, the party people made sure it was reconnected just as swiftly to broadcast propaganda, a prickly term better described as tedious government information, in case the populace forget to buy government bonds or other inane directions at daybreak. I arranged to inspect a new building in the old quarter that might fit my requirements. 
The owner met me on site, and, as is usual, the frontage was very narrow, while the building itself was five storeys high. Once the roller door across the entrance was opened, less usual, however, was the size of the room, only a few metres square, with an internal stairwell beyond. Flush against its neighbours on all sides, these tiny rooms stacked to five storeys. The ground floor was far too small, but the owner insisted that the bookshop could be spread over the first two or three floors. Reluctantly, I followed him upstairs. The second floor landing appeared normal, but the door opened to reveal a tiny room split horizontally. The ceiling was suspended at chest height, a crawl space above and crouching space below. We stood inside, bent double. While the door was regular size, the room certainly wasn't. I muttered something about being John Malkovich. These half-rooms continued upstairs. Keen to put a positive spin on the debacle of the owner's suggestion, children's books! I turned him down. Splitting rooms was fairly common. From the outside, the building may look as though it has normal dimensions, but some or all of the rooms might be sliced in two, creating a sort of cheapskate mezzanine. Stingy landlords can double the occupancy and double their rent. Against my better judgment, I was leaning towards staying put at the current location, renovating a little and thrashing out a better lease with the disagreeable landlady. The top floor of the bookshop was unusable, blisteringly hot or freezing, depending on the season. A Vietnamese friend suggested I immediately put it to good use, as he was doing at his own home, and rent it out to labourers who travelled from the countryside into Hanoi to work on the countless building sites. Construction was going on everywhere. Such was the demand for concrete. Most streets had all available walls stenciled with Tong and a mobile phone number for immediate delivery. Throughout the night, every night, scrunch, 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 ricocheted around the neighbourhood as labourers in flip-flops shoveled gravel and loaded from tip trucks, ready for cement-making the following day. My friend explained his living arrangements. Ground floor was for the motorbike and junk. Second floor was where his elderly parents lived, while he and his wife took up the third floor, This meant the fourth floor and roof could be rented out. Construction workers have to live somewhere, and he was happy to provide a service. Each boy would pay about 25 cents to rent floor space, two tiles by six, smaller than a narrow grave. They had to arrive after 7.30pm and be gone by 6am. He told me he usually had around 100 boys packed like sardines in his house every night, This earned him an extra $25 a day. Slack jaw. All these boys would pass through the front door of the house. As is common in Hanoi, there was no rear entrance. Apparently, the labourers were eager to use his place because he provided a faucet on the roof. One faucet for a hundred boys, but no toilet. They had to sort that out for themselves. A bucket or a plastic bag biffed onto the neighbours, I imagine. Some quick arithmetic on his part showed that I could easily jam 60 people, probably more, on my top floor. While making a whopping $15 a night was very appealing, having 60-plus boys thronging through my house each night was not. My jaw, still gaping. I was going to have to reevaluate the way I looked at things. 
I came to a swift decision. I hired my friend Quinny to double insulate the top floor. My neighbour, Mr Foo, gave it a wonderful paint job. And hey presto, I had a new office. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 